Hi and welcome to Learn With Us. This is Nikos, your host. Today I'm with Mark Nidal. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Where are you about to you calling today from? Yeah, I'm from sunny California, the Bay Area, so near San Francisco. Oh, sweet. Have you, have you been there all your life? I grew up in San Diego, and I then spent some of my college years in LA, Los Angeles, and then my girlfriend at the time, now wife, got a fully funded PhD program out in Utah, so I temporarily went to the mountains of coldness and snow, and after she was done with her program, I, I quickly convinced her to come back to California, and this time the last city we had on the list was uh, San Francisco, and that's pretty relevant for doing tech and coding and web stuff, so it's worked out. What, what age did you start coding at? Probably started coding around uh, 2007, um, more seriously in 2009, though. Okay. I The original story is that I had this really cool idea to build this collaborative web design tool. And I started kind of playing around a little bit. And I was like, man, this is hard, learning how to code. Um, and then Google announced that they were building this thing called Google Wave. And I was like, whoa, that sounds exactly like what I'm dreaming of. So I waited, I think it was a year, a little bit less than a year. I was one of the early beta users on it. Super excited, logged in, started playing with it, and immediately discovered this was, it had all of the kind of features that I wanted, but none of the actual utility of what I wanted. So I was like, ugh. My, my philosophy kind of very quickly turned from, oh, leave the world's greatest to build the things that you want, mm -hmm. to discovering nobody else seems to actually understand the needs that you want or that a person thinks of. And so at the end of the day, you have to build it. <laughs> okay. What was Google Wave? I can't remember that. Oh man, Google Wave was taking Google Doc, which is powered by operational transformation, and combining Google Doc with email, with forum, with chat. It was like a better version of Slack way before Slack. Right, I see. Okay, I'm not aware of the technology underneath Google Documents. I just use it mostly for everything pretty much. Yeah. Operational transformation is a really cool distributed systems um, technology for, or algorithm for doing real-time document collaboration. If you think about it, it's actually a pretty hard problem. If you have two users editing the same document at the same time yeah. on opposite ends of the world. So what do they do? Break it down into an AST or something like that? Into, sorry, an NEST? An, an abstract syntax tree. Um, they, their first attempt was to do it purely off of the HTML <laughs> that failed pretty quickly. And they did decide that they had to come up with their custom object models, not quite an AST cause there's nothing, um, programmatic. Yeah. There's like no, uh, co there's no logic that's being executed, but it is its own tree, its own model. Right. And then 
you basically take every single character and you track the index or offset of every single character in a string of text. And the server, which is very centralized and um, therefore a less fun way to solve the problem, even though it's a very interesting problem set compared to doing it fully decentralized, is that the server will, as you're typing characters, the server kind of acts like a video game server. And that video game server receives the input stream of characters that you're typing. And if two people are typing at the same time, what the server does is it resolves, it resolves the offsets or the indexes of each character relative to each other. So on your screen, when you typed H-E-L-L-O, that might be at um, offset 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, you know, and so on. Um, and the other person, maybe you're at the beginning of a blank document, is starting to type um, uh, world, W-O-R-L-D, and they're also at zero. <laughs> the issue is you need to make sure that you get hello world as the end result. So the, the game server, the operational transformation server that sits in between centralized and Google, takes the indexes of world, W-O-R-L-D, and transforms them against the indexes of hello, such that both users wind up getting hello at index zero and world at, what, index seven or eight? Okay. Um, and that's what it's doing underneath is all of those index transformations. So I've just opened up a Google document and I've like right-clicked inspect element and I'm like, Oh dear, <laughs> what is that I'm seeing in the source panel here? Span class KX word blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's, it's something different yeah. from a text every, area. <laughs> every single line um, is represented by its own um, kind of container. And then they, so they do yeah. transformations against kind of paragra uh, paragraphs, lines, and text, but it's all still relative to the document as a whole. Um, although I'm sure they have optimizations for when you have like 100 page documents. So what on earth made you want to learn how this worked? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. So doing collaborative web design is a very similar problem. If two people are editing the same web page and they both, you know, click to add a container, um, the order of that of how the containers show up matter, right? So if both users are on an empty page and they both click and they add uh, a new div at the very top, well, which div shows up first without some sort of reconciliation or, or transformation or some sort of deterministic guarantee? Um, let's say Alice makes her container blue and Bob makes his container red, is that the user's view of the document is going to diverge. Alice is going to see blue and then red because of the latency it took for Bob's operation to be sent to Alice. However, Bob is going to see the inverse. Bob's going to see red and then blue because locally he clicked faster and it just takes time for then the other operation. So now you have um, the website, blue, red, red, blue, inverted from each other. So you need some sort of way to correct that, such that both Alice and Bob wind up seeing um, the, the blue container, then the red container. I, however, 
did not want to solve this using some beefed up privacy spying on uh, Google server. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to solve this kind of like Git, completely decentralized, such that the transformations are happening locally in the browser and being resolved correctly. And that turned out to be an extraordinarily difficult problem that quickly, quickly led me away from doing uh, a collaborative web design tool, kind of like Weebly or Wix or Webflow. Um, man, they're all W's, Weebly, Webflow, Wix. <laughs> um, I actually know the founder of Webflow. So we were competing uh, kind of back in the day. But I wound up realizing solving this problem of purely deterministic, Git-like collaborative web design um, building was a more interesting infrastructure problem. So I started a research project called GUN in late 2013, early 2014. And that, it, it just exploded in popularity. <laughs> we have over 10,000 stars on GitHub now. We were basically growing like 60 or 80% monthly, month over month. Like it's just been insane. So I'm gonna pause there for- So what, the, how many stars did you have in January? This January? Yeah. I don't remember. I think it was probably, I think we, did we break 10,000 this year or last year? I I don't remember. <laughs> cool, cool. So uh, I've opened up the, the gun page on uh, on GitHub here. It says a real-time decentralized offline first graph vertical to sync the web. Yes. So that's describing all of the features or properties of gun, which most people um, don't need to really care about unless they're coming from a background of using like Neo4j for graph databases or coming from a background like Firebase that offers real-time features. If you don't have, you know, if you're not already Google searching for this sort of stuff, what you need to know is its use case. So we have about 8 million monthly active users running through Gun, um, and the infrastructure costs for that is $0. <laughs> so not only is it operating at scale in production, but is doing it insanely cheap. Right. Some of the organizations that are using us is Hacker Noon, which is the independent tech journal that talks a lot about AI, crypto, et cetera. Yep. So we're rolling out some new features with them in the next uh, month. We did a beta back in July, um, and the actual kind of full deployment should be coming in the next uh, few months. And then the Internet Archive, which is the parent of the Wayback Machine, they are you know one of they're the top 300 website in the world, one of the largest um, nonprofits that exists online for open knowledge access. And they're also using our technology as well as several other um, startups and organizations and nonprofits. So when you say 8 million, how do you quantify that? Browser tabs. So basically um, each browser session, but uh, we don't count if, if you, um, if you reload your browser tab, the old one goes away and then the new one comes in. But over about a month time, 
that's roughly around 8 million. The number is getting pulled from um, Alexa and SimilarWeb. So I primarily use SimilarWeb for tracking the stats. Like if you check out Hacker Noon on SimilarWeb's rankings, they have about a little bit over 6 million monthly oh, So are you like the broker? Well, so Gun gets loaded into every single browser uh-huh. that is loading um, the, the site. Mm-hmm. And each one of those browsers is creating a decentralized connection uh-huh. through um, a couple different things. So there's WebRTC, which enables browser-to-browser communication. Then, of course, um, WebSocket, which has to run through some sort of um, IP-facing peer. Typically, the IP-facing peers are running in the cloud, but uh, I also know people who are running them on their desktop. They have just manually configured their firewall on their router to actually uh, (laughs) be exposed directly. So... Any IP-facing peer can act as a WebSocket relay, and you can have as many WebSocket relays as you want. So you're not centralizing in a single WebSocket relay. Uh, Take Firebase, for example. You're usually connecting to just one Firebase endpoint. With Gun, you could connect to multiple relays. So if one dies and crashes, you don't have to worry about it. Things are still going to continue operating. And those WebSocket relays do as you would expect. They relay to other browser, other browsers through WebSockets, and they also relay to other relays that then relay to other relays and other browsers. So it's a fully decentralized um, network. Must have a lot of if loops there or for loops doing a lot of uh, logic to check that stuff. Say that again? Must be a lot of like advanced code for that right oh oh yes yes (laughs) deep dive into distributed systems and all sorts of really fun um algorithms there's a few other talks where i've described the algorithms on how to do like optimized routing in the network as well as um the base kind of protocol on how to do mesh networking so a fun kind of little factoid is i was just describing the system running in production at global, you know, kind of spanning scale. And um, the response times in the network, ever since our most recent um, update, that I was fixing some bugs from our the, the beta that we we're doing in, in July with Hacker Noon, is the response times now are, uh, many of them are sub 90 milliseconds. So Google search results return in 80 milliseconds. Right. So Gun, as a database, um, is returning within about nine, sub 90 milliseconds on a lot of queries. Now, contrast to the exact same code that can run in a mesh in, in an offline mesh network. Okay, so in July we also did a um, prototype with the Internet Archive where we and some others built an offline peer-to-peer telecom with physical radio hardware, open source radio hardware at the conference the Internet Archive ran. Um, so we were out in the forest with uh, no with no uh, traditional Internet reception, although they did try and bring some in just for the event. But while we were offline at the forest, we got to experiment with running the exact same code base that's being used in production with 10 million monthly active users 
also completely offline in a peer-to-peer mesh um, telecom grid. And it, and it also worked there. <laughs> Sweet. So how are you using cables to connect to computers then or Wi-Fi or what? Yeah, so um, I can connect to you with the, the the people who did a lot more of the hardware than I did. They were running a couple different systems. So obviously there were um, where where possible, uh, just LAN, you know, fiber optic uh, uh, connections. But for many parts of the camp, they set up um, directed radio um, receivers. So rather than having like Wi-Fi which is broadcasting wide area. I mean, sorry, they would have a Wi-Fi with inside of like different buildings and rooms, but to connect different, um, different parts of the camp together, they would do these directed radio links. And that's using, I think, two pieces of hardware, Open Libra, not to be confused with... Um, no, Libra router, Libra router. Um, and then another set, which is, I think, Microtalk radios or something like that. I'm, I'm not the expert on the hardware side of the equation, but I know all the people who do that pretty much full time. So I can definitely hook you up with them. It was really exciting. Cool, man. So I'm looking at the GitHub repo right now. So are you using web RTC under the hood for everything? I wish. <laughs> so uh, the dirty secret of web RTC for anybody who's played around and used web RTC is you only get probably about a 40% success rate. And that's highly dependent upon um, physically how far away somebody is to you. So it's really exciting because while you're developing, <laughs> Um, you're always testing like WebRTC against yourself or maybe with your friend um, or, you know, <laughs> a girlfriend in the apartment. And it always works. <laughs> but that's because you're like within side of the same local area network and WebRTC has these tricks um, for stun um, and nat traversal that uh, – basically guarantee it worked. But then when you actually publish this code into production, oh, woe is me, woe is you, a programmer's life. Um, <laughs> it, it, it just, it's very spotty um, and fails pretty often. Although um, I, I have successfully run um, a Tetris-like live action kind of video game um, a real-time multiplayer game that is in the examples folder of Gun across three different continents, from Australia to the United States to, like, Europe, Scandinavia. And so I've successfully played a game with about three to five people using only WebRTC for those connections running in real-time um, on Gun. However... Uh, I don't know how many other people got excluded from the game <laughs> because their connections dropped and failed to connect because WebRTC could not make the connection. And that's why WebSocket relays are still very, very, very important um, for anybody doing anything with WebRTC. So what is it that the gun does on top of WebRTC that makes it more reliable? Yeah, so so gun is a database 
at the end of the day. Um, so with databases, you have the question of consistency. You might be familiar if you're using with any WebRTC or, or socket IO library is if a user loads your app and then you push some data with socket IO and then they do something else and they accidentally hit refresh, you wind up losing the state that that user on your app um, was at. So all those messages that have been sent over WebSockets or WebRTC are just kind of, they're gone, they vanish into the ether. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you reconstruct the state? Well, the key piece that what Gun does is since it's a database, when you reload the page, it instantly jumps to the latest state. It doesn't have to send all of the previous messages. It just winds up returning the latest state of the database. So refreshes are easy, they're natural, they're intuitive for your users. But then as your users continue you know, editing their document or typing something, um, all the, the new changes, the, the diff, the changes, get sent over the network and synced with other people that are also online at the same time. So you get this very nice kind of continuous persisted experience. All the real-time features of Socket.io and WebSockets and those other things combined directly in with the database. So very much like Firebase. So would, would Gun be used for something like an online game for like the, the world variables? And then that's yeah. what they use to keep it in sync? Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Go, go on. Yeah, so I, I've got a couple of games that are on my to-do list, on my GitHub repository. I've got a Space Invaders game, and I've got this game called Density Wars, which is built using Babylon JS. It's a 3D game, but I was um, looking around for some sort of back-end to hold and sync the information across. Um, so maybe maybe your this kind of thing would be interesting to look at for me. Yeah, please do. I know several people who have been doing like web VR with A-Frame in the browser um, that like synchronize user positions and even when people like upload files and images into the virtual world um, using Gun to synchronize all information, including the game state and uh, all, many pieces of the scene graph. So I, I, I'm super excited to... Uh, see and help whatever kind of video game stuff they are working on. I get, I get excited about that because not, not enough people are using gun for that. Some people have, but I get really excited on those things. Another key piece that I should note with your earlier question about what else does gun do that's different than WebSockets and WebRTC is for any developer who's kind of researched different databases, they're probably familiar with this thing called the cap theorem. And it basically states, well, is your database a master-slave database where every single new user in the world gets the exact same version of the data at the exact same time? Or um, is your database highly available? Um, does, does it work offline? Does it work when your server goes down? Uh, is it easy to distribute across many different machines? So GUN obviously is very much towards the AP 
side of the CAP theorem. It is highly available and strongly eventually consistent, not globally consistent. What that means is that all users will see the same final state of the data. And while they're connected online, um, especially with how fast um, WebSockets is, they get synchronized as fast as the network connects people. However, if you're, if, if, some, if one of the backends crashes and goes down, it's not like your users are suddenly locked out from using your app. Um, how many times have you gone to, let's say, the airport and you're trying to get through security, but you have to print your boarding pass and you're using the terminal and the term and you type in, you know, your your passport or whatever your confirmation code is, and the terminal is like, great, let me look that up for you, and then it just like pauses for 30 seconds or one minute as it's just loading, loading, loading. And that's because that terminal is talking to some master slave globally consistent database. Um, it gives you the same results worldwide, but typically is the definition of a bottleneck. And so those systems are slow um, in contrast to distributed systems or other distributed databases that are highly available and fast. And that's the side that gun falls on. Right. Cool, man. So does that mean that you limit yourself to some of the applications that it could be used for, say, something transactional like banking stuff? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I should be clarifying. Gun is not the slow, globally consistent mm -hmm. um, type system. It's... And so the one use case you should not use gun for is banking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. When I was saying that gun falls on the side of being highly available, that means um, even if the, if the servers stop working, gun will continue to work, especially with the peer-to-peer -peer WebRTC and more decentralized approach. Um, so... You should not use gun for banking. That is the proper academic answer I have to publicly state. However, now I'm gonna give all the caveats, which is, um, first of all, no bank in the world actually uses um, globally consistent systems. Why? Because they care more about customer experience and they care about <laughs> um, getting overdraft fees. If some <laughs> If some customer of theirs winds up double spending money by pulling more money out of their bank account than they actually have access to, then the bank knows who you are. Like, whoop-dee-doo. They just charge you uh, for, for the debt. And also, the ATMs oftentimes are in regions of the world that have spotty internet connections. So the ATMs themselves don't have... Um, or historically haven't had good internet connection. So they're not checking against some globally consistent um, data. Like, here's a funny thing, right? It is probably faster to have the ATM print money for you than it is to go to the airport and log in <laughs> and get your boarding pass. And that's because the ATM is not using a globally consistent system. Um, obviously, every single blockchain out there in the world is obsessed with globally consistent um, data, 
But it's pretty interesting when you think that no bank in the world is actually doing that. The the second piece, um, well, no, that, that's that's good enough. <laughs> that's good so enough. Blo- blockchain, it seems to be very inefficient, whereas what your database is much is very fast because you don't have to have all these miners running and stuff like that to get information across everywhere. Yes, like a year ago, okay, a year ago in production on this really cool free speech website called notabug.io. It's a it's a peer-to-peer version of Reddit, a decentralized version of Reddit. And it looks like old school Reddit too. So oh, if nice. you you hate if you hate the new version of Reddit, you're going to love notabug.io. Um so a year ago in production, somebody wrote a a GPU bot to like spam the network to try and troll <laughs> to try and troll the system and it wound up doing about 3000 um cryptographic upvotes so i'm going to say transactions per second on the network and nobody noticed it didn't affect the network at all so a year ago <laughs> and we've made a lot of bug fixes since then um you know it, the system was already doing is that like a thousand times the scale of bitcoin <laughs> Um, now obviously different use cases, you're not going to use gun for the transactional data. Although I should note that the way that a lot of banks build their system and the way that a lot of strongly globally consistent databases like Postgres, um, et cetera, use their, um, build their databases. They use this algorithm called Paxos or raft and Paxos or raft winds up actually being built out of an eventually consistent messaging system underneath. So they're actually running some lower level distributed message queue or message system underneath that then builds Paxos and Raft um, on top of that lower level um, kind of fast system that then that higher level system blocks all of the operations while it's doing these lower level message passing underneath until it gets global consistency and then approves of the reader write and hands it out. So um, some people have actually built a blockchain on top of gun, but the issue is uh, you can't get your cake and eat it too. If you, if you build those types of systems on top of gun um, and you then use that globally consistent system on top, you do not get the performance of gun. Um, it, you, you fundamentally have to do this trade-off that the computer scientists have researched with the CAP theorem. Okay. So if a gaming company is using, say, UDP, could they use GUN instead? Yes. So this is, again, where WebRTC becomes important because WebRTC actually does have a UDP mode. Unfortunately, um, um WebSockets still uses TCP, and TCP tries to do, tries to order the messages on the network and do um, packet flow control, and that's bad for like doing uh, Skype or Google Hangouts because a, a lot of those packets that you're sending through the network, 
you don't really care about. You want to throw them away. They're old video frames. You always want the latest, freshest frame to show up. And UDP is very, very good at that. Video games are very similar. You're sending a lot of packets to the network and you only want the latest packets. You kind of just want to throw away the old ones. For most browser-based gaming, um, uh, WebSockets is a thousand times good enough. It, it's just purely dependent upon the latency of the user's um, internet. So WebSockets is probably pretty good for any um, amateur game development, web browser-based game development. But when you're getting into like the real high-end gaming, a Halo, um, uh, what is? Sorry, I haven't played gaming in a long time. Destiny, uh, for, Destiny. Forza Motorsports Seven, Pro, um, FIFA. Yeah, those kind okay. of things. You you would want to run um, Gun with the UDP mode turned on. So you probably do not want to use the WebSocket relays. However, in order to get the UDP mode turned on, you're either having to use WebRTC, which is unreliable, or you're going to have to build um, a a native um, app. Uh, whether that, uh, e even if that's just Electron, I hate I hate saying this. Even if it's just Electron, you can still do like WebGL inside of Electron. Um, you're going to get terrible performance compared to doing fully native, but at least with Node.js inside of Electron, you get access to UDP. Um, so you could do these, um, much faster connections, um, with gun. So you don't want to be, I, I'm just trying to, the reason why I'm making these disclaimers is that gun abstracts over all these different protocols, UDP, um, WebRTC, uh, um, multicast in a local area network, uh, web sockets which is tcp based and it just abstracts across all of them but it is also its own protocol however um until we get our peer-to-peer -peer telecom running <laughs> in production uh with our own physical hardware and uh, updated firmware um we can't really run the gun native protocol on the like on the physical hardware uh, we still have to rely upon TCP, UDP, WebRTC, WebSockets, and that stuff. And for anybody that's doing performance-based um, coding, I just highly recommend you go to as low level as you possibly can, uh, thus UDP in gaming to get the best performance. But if you're just building like a web-based game, <laughs> you don't need to worry about any of that stuff. So if somebody wants to get involved, Mark, how do they go about it? The easiest way is to just uh, click on the chat room in the on the GitHub. So github.com slash amark, A-M-A-R-K slash gun, or you can just go to gun.eco, E-C-O. Um, one of the best things about gun is the community. There is, it is, it is intensely overactive uh, community. There's a ton of people there chatting, helping, and and they're just super nerdy. We, we talk about everything from distributed systems to cryptography and security to um, like latest programming languages like Rust and um, graphic system like WebGL. And it, so it is such a fun, nerdy community. They can basically talk about anything programming web oriented. And everybody is super friendly, inclusive, helpful. Um, 
unlike a lot of other communities out there that are toxic. So we have a ton of people in our community that have played around with gun, like gun, um, but you know they, they have a day job, so they're not necessarily using gun every day, but they just they just hang out in the gun community talking about gun stuff and um, video game stuff and cryptography stuff just because the community itself is such a valuable gem. So I highly encourage everybody, whether you use gun or not, to jump into the community, and that's the best way to get started using gun, um, being experiencing stuff as well as uh, learning and helping contribute. It's quite, quite exciting to see. I mean, 10K stars is no mean feat, and it's nice to see a niche project like this get up to speed with some some, some buzz. Um, I've seen projects like this before, and it kind of went by the wayside. I won't talk about what it was, but it was like um, complicated stuff, but never really got in it. But this, this looks like it's certainly, uh, I mean, 10K stars for such a complicated code is, is quite a lot. It's quite good. Well done. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. The, the the one thing that is top of my mind all the time is developer experience. So while on this call, I've been chatting a lot about the technical intricacies, the intricacies of a distributed system. All of that is completely hidden behind a gorgeous, simple, easy to use API. Um, and and honestly, the simplicity of that API is what is driven pretty much the majority of those 10,000 stars. There are so many other projects out there like blockchain systems, even other decentralized protocols that are great, but they can just be very complicated to use. Um, you have to download a whole bunch of stuff to your computer uh, just to start. You can't just like try it out in a browser. Or you have to have .NET installed. <laughs> I mean, you do, you do have to, well, okay. If you are a Node.js person, you do have to have NPM to use Gun with um, Node.js. However, if you're just, um, but if you're not a Node.js person, it's super trivial to use Gun out of the box in the browser. Um, anybody who wants, like, just just as proof of my claim, go to Gun.eco, G-U-N.eco, and then click the um, Get Started. That will go to a five-minute interactive coding tutorial and okay. in five minutes in the browser um you'll have your very first decentralized to do app not only built and implemented but also up and deployed what? <laughs> for <laughs> to log in and write um their own to-do list so it, it's but ugly <laughs> but it works and it and it works all the way around the world, and you build it right there in the browser in five minutes. That's how easy it is uh, compared to a lot of other tooling. Um, so I so no, is this course, like is this like the jQuery of decentralized web web uh, tools or something? <laughs> I I would I um, so I have to be careful not to shoot myself in the foot. I love that. <laughs> However. <laughs> jQuery is kind of out of vogue, so it might be a dangerous <laughs> name to give the project. Um, I, that the to-do tutorial does use jQuery, um, but you can use any framework of your choice. Uh, you can use Angular, React, Vue, Svelte, blah blah blah. And there's other guides and tutorials on how to use Gun with React and those different systems. But um, 
if you remember the old school days of jQuery coming around and simplifying DOM management when it, back in the day when it was a pain in the butt before browsers kind of upped their game, like, yeah, like gun certainly brings that type of ubiquity and ease of use to um, the decentralized web movement. Now, it is called gun, so you can shoot yourself in the foot. So I, I do highly recommend that you check out some of the frameworks that are being built on top of gun. And those come with built-in things like access control lists, security management, um, a lot of you know, like tools that you would expect that Firebase gives you. Um, but without having to pay Google. What would, what would be cool? Because I'm I'm, winning, I'm building a couple uh, web apps. Uh, but it would be great to just be able to write this thing locally and deploy it locally without having to then export your code and up to these other servers with different environment variables and then worry about cost costs and stuff like that. I mean, but I don't, how would you do it that way? Like clog in credential management? So I don't know. So um, <laughs> you'll see that there's already login credential management in the, t in the five minute to do tutorial. Okay. <laughs> so it's already done. <laughs> um, now, I do wanna be clear that what you're talking about is coming soon. There, um, you, you can kind of do it today, but Gun is a very low level kind of easy to use library. So it's easy to shoot yourself in the foot with Gun, but it's extraordinarily powerful. Um, there is this framework that we're trying to get off the ground, as well as some other people called Joy, JoyDB. And JoyDB is like the full-on, like, bells and whistles, bloat, you know, got everything included in it. And it has a way for you to take your static um, website, your static content, uh, what, what are what are people calling it these days? Static apps. I don't know. I, I, it's all it's all a bit confusing. I mean, you get these um, single page apps, and you got these sort of static exports. I'm not really quite sure what the difference is. Um, for me, static people... for me static means um, I, I, it's it just doesn't have to have routing or something like that. Um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Do Do you use Netlify? Or, I'm actually uh, I'm planning to use Netlify. If, I wanted to learn about it. Um, where we actually, me and my my um, co-founder, were actually using going to be using Netlify for one of our our, um, our agencies we're starting. Jamstack, maybe it's called Jamstack. Okay, whatever that whole movement is called, um, where basically you just write a really simple HTML file and you upload it to, and and it gets deployed on some sort of CDN. Um, uh, we have a framework that. It, that lets us run dynamic apps on static apps. So because the browsers are connecting with each other or running through these relay peers, and yes, you can run um, your own peer on your computer, um, we can actually start hosting these static, um, as long as that static page can get loaded by a browser, whether that be, you know, hosted from your computer or through some sort of CDN, like Netlify or GitHub Pages or whatever. Um, the app then automatically upgrades with Joy using Gun 
and all of our other um, te technology stack underneath into a fully dynamic decentralized web app. Um, but it's super easy for you as a developer to code this because it's just an HTML file um, static on your <laughs> on your computer. So at what point can you just turn off your own computer and assume that somebody else has their computer on at the same time with your statistically? Yeah, there's, there's two things to that. Um, so probabilistically speaking, um, even with 8 million monthly active users, the spread on the different content that people read on Hacker Noon is, is still not very likely that the content or the page is going to be served by another browser unless that browser is still online. Right. Um, so the, the second point here is that the, the relay peers also automatically cache the, the content. So as long as one of many relay peers is still online, it's likely to have your content. So in my experience, I've found that as long as I'm online with gun and um, connected to one of the peers, then I can basically exit my browser tab or close my computer um, instantly. Um, basically, you know, within milliseconds after uh, saving the data. So wh um, what's a relay peer again? A relay peer is a peer that helps connect browsers when WebRTC fails. And so those relay peers, the only requirement for a relay peer is that you have a, a public IP address. So that could be your computer or desktop at home if you kind of bypass your router. Um, now, admittedly, you know, a lot of people wind up running a relay peer on Amazon or DigitalOcean or OVH. And because we do try and make it really easy for people to get started, you don't have to do this. You can use one of the many relay peers out there. But we also have a one-click deploy to Heroku, where in just one click, anybody can deploy a relay peer. And now anybody and everybody in the world can uh, use that relay peer if you share the IP address with um, other people in the community. So we just the, the reality is that we just have a bunch of people in our community that have all just one click deployed <laughs> um, a relay peer and it's great. Like we have backup and reliability even when we shut down the browsers, but we also get all of the distributed hosting um, help from the browsers when they are online. Mm -hmm. Could you use uh, Gun for something like making a website like LinkedIn or would you just need something centralized? Did you have to have data absolutely specific, you know, no mistakes? Um, um, I'm that, uh, that I, I almost feel like that question was preloaded. Did somebody tell you to ask that no, question? No, no, I just asked it. <laughs> okay, so in the show notes, I wanna make sure I send you this. I, there's like a one minute video where I show literally a ripoff of LinkedIn <laughs> with full decentralized <laughs> um, connection and um, privacy control on what company and what other users are allowed to access 
the data. It's it's super ugly. It's I think it's less than 200 lines of HTML and JavaScript. Um, so it's super simple. Um, it's but ugly and and like a, a very you know like seed template project. But it does exactly that. It does exactly what you're talking about. So I'll send you nice, yeah. the link. Um, so that way, other people on the show can check out literally a decentralized encrypted um, LinkedIn. Yeah, all those show notes links are really helpful because um, uh, otherwise it'd take me ages to go through this uh, and get all these links. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of them. Um, fascinating stuff, man. I'm really intrigued about this uh, topic. Thanks. I mean, like, this is what I'm really passionate about is that I, I, the way that I explain it to a non-technical audience, but since we've kind of gone through all the technical details early on, I got you hooked. Hopefully the audience hooked on listening to this fun stuff. I'm going to step back a moment and say, like, the, the vision and and excitement that I have is there are now enough phones in the world to power all of Facebook by the people, for the people, and of the people. So why don't we, okay? Like, we can do this as developers. We now have the tools to build this system, and it's already being built, and it's already scaling in production with tens of millions of users. Uh, well, I guess we're not quite at tens of millions of users. We are going, um, we are working with the Internet Archive, um, which is already running our tech, uh, but not on their homepage. They have over 70 million monthly active users. So in the next year, year and a half, I'm hoping to be prototyping gun in production with them since they're already using us on, um, and it, sorry, I get distracted in all these rabbit trails. So in the next year, year and a half, we should have about, we should have almost a hundred million. So tens of millions, um, 80, roughly about 80 million monthly active users going through the network. Okay. With Google level response times, sub 90 millisecond response times on extraordinarily cheap infrastructure. So we can build that future already. And then I wanna jump into this even bigger vision, okay? Which is the the peer-to-peer telecom that I mentioned. That's, that's an intricate, important part of the story. It's because once we have fixed the software problems of the internet, and re-decentralizing the web. Our goal is to actually, for free, or for pay, but for free, ship physical routers, open source routers, to people around the world to start building physical internet infrastructure, physical peer-to-peer decentralized telecoms. Sure, that's a few years out, but like we've already prototyped this. We we already have it working in small um, camps and off-grid communities. So if you want to partake in this type of revolution, like yeah, like please jump in. Yeah, I'll save a lot of people a lot of a lot of money. You know, a lot of people can't afford uh, high-speed internet. Um, you know. And that's got to change. Like that, that's just got to change. I think we finally crossed about six months ago, half of the world's population being online. Yay! We have about, I think, um, three and a half or four billion people online now. But there's there's a whole rest of the world that we that is super important to connect. And and I want to be clear. This needs to be done through 
community run internet because every single country around the world basically has a monopoly telecom provider. And to be honest, a lot of those telecom providers are improving the well-being of a lot of the world's populations and citizens. But the issue is as that goes up over time, um, the, the corporations at any point can decide to price gouge or lock certain people out. So I, I do think where we can get governments and where we can get corporations to improve infrastructure in the world, that's great. But I don't trust governments and corporations um, to always have the best interest of getting internet access, let alone end-to-end encrypted um, private information to the citizens. So this is kind of building up to my bigger my, my bigger vision, which we won't talk about here, which is a new economic model itself. We have spent the last year with um, uh, behavioral economists and psychologists at uh, Stanford, um, me, as well as some of the very earliest members of blockchain, of Bitcoin, um, Marty Malmi Sirius, who was Satoshi's very first contributor to Bitcoin. He, he left Bitcoin a long time ago because he saw the writing on the wall. And we're realizing that we can't use gimmicky tokens to improve the world. It just leads to too much greed and this big ICO craze that leads to Ponzi schemes and scamming the very people that we are trying to help over. Okay, So the old school movement of decentralization um, and Bitcoin is resurfacing now in gun with some of the leading world minds from Stanford and in production with deployments with Internet Archive and stuff like that. Like, like this is where the future is going. And it is it's fundamentally a new economic model that redefines wealth from how much people hoard to how much people give away. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here and, and do a little bit of advertisement here. This is going to lead on to another podcast, onto my other podcast, <laughs> which is currently tiny, tiny uh, listenership right now. But uh, we'll definitely be having you on there. You may continue. Awesome. What is the name of the podcast if your audience doesn't already know? Yeah, so it's um, it's called Influencers Cafe, and it's cafe.simplecast.fm, or, or you just go to iTunes and stick in uh, Influencers Cafe. And that's the name of the podcast. Okay, I'm going to start shilling this podcast <laughs> to the world because because here's the thing, like um, with those stupid crypto coin token blockchain stuff, like people have to buy and that is fundamentally unfair. That is exploiting and extracting things from people versus a podcast like yours that you're freely giving to the world with a lot of valuable and fun entertaining conversations and that's extraordinary so part of this economic revolution that we're doing and and this is going to be the bridge and i'm going to shut up about the economic stuff is how do we take the open source model of us developers who have built a lot of really cool technology and want to open source it how do we take the open source model that has produced trillions with a t trillions of dollars of value with the internet, with Linux servers, with you know Apache, and the, the whole history, trillions of dollars of value, 
How do we apply that exact same model to manufacturing, to education, to, I mean, education is kind of already figuring out, to manufacturing, to, um, to entertainment, to uh, pharmaceutical and medical technology. So if open source has impacted us as programmers and technologists as much as it has, I guarantee you we're fighting really hard to make sure that same impact comes to all the other industries in the you world. You know what we call open government? <laughs> like like well, a model of government that's just designed to work for the people, you know, and eliminate corruption and uh, distribute, um, you know, resources to people. Not, com- not communism, have- by the way. <laughs> Yeah, we have to be careful, right? I fullheartedly agree, but this is where I take a lot of beef with the blockchain people, is I feel like blockchain went down the tubes because they tried to create a governance system. They tried to create a government system. And as soon as you have a, even if it's a democracy, um, even if it's a socialist democracy or a republic democracy, the problem is that when you have a minority or a majority um, that is able to force the other minority or the other majority to do something, you get dystopia over time. It's guaranteed. You get polarization over time because that's a zero-sum game. So my belief is if we're going to call it an open government, maybe – it should just be purely voluntarist. So, hey, if if the if if the forty five percent want to build um, housing and roads and lighting, then they can do that, and the forty five percent will get access it to it for free and whatever kind of socialist thing they vote for. But they can then either a charge the remaining 55%, which isn't very cool, or B, just give it away for free to the remaining 55% as well. Um, and and because A scares me, um, freeism is is coming up with a mathematical, it is, it is the mathematical models that we've produced on how do we measure um, distributing both physical and digital goods to people such that the, the the producers and distributors of those goods get rewarded like you do in capitalism, but you still get the type of fairness that you that a lot of people in socialism want. So, uh, and that's why that's why I'm calling it freeism. Um, when, we, when we say freeism, we're not we're not saying it's freeism as in related to there's no like uh, religion that's true or anything like that. This is just purely economical. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Freeism is not a religion. It's a, it's an economic. It's, it basically it's a, it's the, it's the, it's the next. Okay, um, you know how capitalism was proposed. Well, sorry, a lot of people don't know this. Capitalism was proposed as a way to move away from feudalism, and. And what wound up happening is mercantilism was this kind of in-between stage of capitalism emerging between feudalism and cap and 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 so what we're stuck now today is is, is this 
polarizing two-party system of capitalism and socialism. They're both the same game. They're both zero-sum games. So it's not that you have left versus right or capitalist versus socialist. It's actually, if you zoom out, the exact same economic game. That is enriching. I heard that. In a, actually, I heard that in another podcast. That, well, what, what podcast? Well, it was, it's called This Cultural Movement, and it was talking about how the Democrats and the Republicans... When you look at the people in, in everyday lives, you'd actually find them quite similar, but they would be perceived to be antagonistic to each other. Right. <laughs> the po- politicians are intentionally playing our um, scarcity mindset, our zero-sum games, in order to create um, voting uh, rings. Anyway, we should probably save that for the separate. The, the point being is that freeism is not a religious thing it, it uh, um maybe there's somebody else who's using freeism for some sort of weird religion but but freeism is an economic system like capitalism or like socialism it's very different than capitalism and socialism but it's just an economic theory um that 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 is where capitalism and socialism inevitably if you do the math or the economics or look at history it's inevitably where things must evolve. And we're already seeing this happening because today, already, we kind of exist in this weird mix of capitalism, socialism, evolving into freeism that I call the reputation economy. And the reputation economy can actually be extremely dangerous and dystopic, kind of like mercantilism was very scary transition from feudalism to capitalism. So um, you're seeing the reputation economy all over from from you know Airbnb to Uber to Facebook to even China's social credit system and oh so you're getting me rolling um, we should either just we should either just record the the that next podcast now and split this one up no or no no we, we, really... we, we want to uh, bless them we bless the, the minds of our programmers with um, some some humanities <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the part two of this will be in uh, Influencers Cafe. Go and uh, smash the five star button on iTunes, cause uh, and you'll hear Ace and the Gladiators on there as well from the nineties TV show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm gonna get I'm gonna uh, get shilling this new podcast of yours, and uh, we we could retweet it and uh, get people liking it and get people. Uh, <laughs> Uh, subscribing to to hear this awesome content that thank you again so much for um letting me on the show and talking about these ideas yeah it was it was a, a pleasure to, to have you on the show very very um, interesting conversation we had um mark i appreciate it and uh, shout out to all the developers out there um hit up the open source community it's all completely liberally licensed, you know, MIT, Zilib, Apache 2. There's a lot of people online these days complaining about, oh, open source developers don't get paid. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Like, like if you want to donate, fine. But I hate, I hate that, like, the whole open source community is turning into this troll fest of, of like, making people feel guilty. Uh, that's just bad. That's not good. So uh, ignore all those people. Uh, use the technology for your companies. Uh, make money off of it. I don't care. Uh, have fun with it. I, I think the only way to make money from from open source is to is to do consulting because um, 
if if there is no consulting aspect to it, then I don't think it's sustainable. A lot of the uh, the projects. I mean, even I went to look at Prettier today, and uh, I heard that you know things are slowing down because it opens the the core maintainers are getting a bit uh, burnt out. You know, um, but something yeah. like Prettier. How do you make money from Prettier consulting? <laughs> you you can't. You know, it's like you have to rely on people's donations. Um, but it's. Uh, I will admit as an open source maintainer, consulting is a hard way to go, but like, like it still drives me nuts that the other, like a lot of quote open source, they're trying to use open source advertising. There's all these other teams that are doing like open core, which is really just crippleware. Like, oh sure, the base technology kind of works and then they sell you. Like that is just unethical. Like, well, uh, maybe I shouldn't, that's probably too strong a language. Um, That's not cool. I'm I'm not going to say it's not, I'm not going to say it's unethical, but I will say it's it's uncool. That's like really uncool. I don't do that. You get get, get um, you excited about something, and then you, you can't have the icing on the cake, you know? Yeah, it's just like me, like like the yeah crippleware. That's what it is. It's crippleware. <laughs> and then there's these other open source maintainers that are like that are that have gone from asking for donations, which is fine, to like like sending this guilt trip. They're like, oh, like. Like if you don't on Twitter and stuff, they're like talking like if you don't donate money to me, you're you're just this evil corporation stealing money. And and it's just like that's also uncool. Like literally, if you need to make money, that that's that's good. But don't give away something for free and then take it back. Don't like that's just uncool. Like don't give stuff away for free to people and then like point fingers at them that's that's uncool don't do that yeah Um, so again you can use our technology for anything you want whether it's for profit at your startup um or your company or your organization even governments even um even uh gun is even run on an iot system inside of a uh, a a navy warship um (laughs) If you're the military and government, you're also able to use the technology. I don't necessarily agree with what you're using it for, but um, if you're a corporation and want to make money off of it, if you're an individual developer and you're starting a startup, use the technology for free. Don't don't feel any obligation to get locked into these crippleware people or into these, um, you know, guilt trippers. Yeah. Well, speaking of the military, I remember my first one of my first jobs, and a guy I really respect, a really uh, technical genius, and he was like saying he he doesn't understand why people go and work work for military uh, technology companies, and you say, oh, I get to my end of my life and think, oh dear, I've just spent all my life helping kill people more efficiently, you know, and that kind of put me off. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I do want to defend this one use case is. Um, the use case wound up being more for a lot of Navy carriers do um, emergency relief for hurricanes and stuff. So it, it is absolutely true that the technology has probably been used for some sort of weapon system. And I, I you know, that scares me. I, I don't like that. Um, but I do know that the technology and the, that Navy has done a lot of humanitarian relief for hurricane um, disaster areas. So I hope, I hope 
that that more lives are saved <laughs> by these days than are killed. But uh, that's a pretty depressing stat to look at. So, yeah. Okay. Well, Mark, um, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Here we are again, saying goodbye. <laughs> Thanks so much. Oh, you, you've I got a really podcast as well, don't you? Where's your podcast? Yeah, we do have our own podcast. The one I recommend, um, well, so there, there's two. There's the D-Web podcast. So I think that's hosted on Anchor. So I think that's anchor.fm slash D-Web. I maybe should just double check that. Yes, anchor.fm slash D-Web. And that is extremely low-level, like conversational distributed systems algorithm stuff. And it's very low-key. Then we have a really cool podcast that's kind of like a mix of Joe Rogan, um, but for tech and um, the intersection of tech ethics and um, politics. And that's called The Kazell Report, C-A-Z-Z-E-L-L, The Kazell Report. And that's hosted by our... Um, behavioral economist, psychologist, and she she interviewed the CEO of Hacker Noon, the independent tech journal. She's even interviewed some blockchain people like the founder of MetaMask, the very popular browser extension that has real users. Um, it connects into Ethereum and stuff, but the, the important piece is that they, they have real users. So And she's also interviewed me um, uh, and some other people. So the Kazell Report is that Joe Rogan style podcast. And then the D-Web podcast is for algorithms and infrastructure and technology stuff. Cool. We, we wonder if my Influencers Cafe is a bit more, it's a bit like his podcast then, Joe Rogan style. Yeah. Dude, Joe Rogan is doing like 40 million downloads per month. Compare that to CNN, which I think is the most popular. It's like 110 million, um, like you, like monthly visitors. Oh, I could probably double check. Um, but like Joe Rogan single-handedly is like, like half the the eyeballs of CNN. So keep up, like like I, I'm excited for Influencer Cafe because it's 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 it's, it's I, I, the people I have on there are people that interest me. So. Anyone, anyone I find interesting, I'll even go up to them and say, do you want to come on the podcast, you know? Just because it's like, for me, it's a chance to... And I like to listen... I actually like to listen to my podcast again, the conversations, because it's sort of like, if I'm by myself programming somewhere or, you know, traveling, then I can listen to these conversations. <clears throat> and it's kind of like, uh, I enjoy listening to them. So even, like, just... It does... Um, does the platform you host on let you download it? So that way you can listen to them on flights and stuff. Yeah, so I'm on I'm on every platform. I use uh, I use iTunes, Player FM, Spotify, and it's all centralized with uh, my provider, um, Simplecast. Um, not the cheapest provider, but for me, and they've got a very nice website, uh, web player app as well, and it can be embedded on uh, every other site as well. So you just take the iframe and uh, you get a little player, and you you post it into say Twitter feed. You can play it within Twitter as well. Nice. Anchor.fm does something similar, but we chose it because it was free. <laughs> it probably doesn't have as many features as Simplecast. But I'm I'm often traveling to you know a tech conference, whether that be 
you know, in Europe by train or in US um, by plane. So downloading these podcasts and listening to them or just even listening to them on commute on the road back and forth were like a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, they haven't been sponsored me by the way to tell us, but I think I'll tell them to listen to this episode and say, you should have sponsored me for this episode. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Nico. I really appreciate you having me on the yeah, show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on, Mark. Um, yeah, pleasure. Yeah, have a great one. Cool. Thanks, thanks everybody, for listening to us. That was Mark um, Nadal, and uh, he's uh, a smart programmer, basically. <laughs> See you again next time, right? On Glam with us. Bye bye.